Welcome back to the Rebel Ed Podcast. I'm Jackson Kane, and I'm alongside Connor Salmons for today's interviews. If you're interested in listening to advancements in crop consulting, hunting stories, and a look into what a senior is doing to prepare for life, episode two is coming right up. The first guest for today's podcast is a crop consultant for CropQuest, and he's also an avid outdoorsman. Uh, this is none other than Mr. Shannon Evans. Um, so I guess we'll just start off this podcast with you talking about what do you do for a living? Well, first off, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm honored. I've finally hit the uh, pinnacle, or at least a third of the pinnacle of uh, the media empire. All I've got left now is Joe Rogan and Howard Stern, and I'll, I'll have everything down. But yeah, uh, yeah uh, it's good to be here. And yeah, I obviously have lived in this community for a lot of years and worked with CropQuest, a crop consulting company, and have for since the inception of the company in 1992 so oh you you worked there since the ground floor yeah i am crop quest is an employee-owned corporation and i'm one of the original members i helped start the company in february of 92 wow so is this your first time being inside the new school or no i was at the, the opening, grand opening. the grand opening okay. and, and toured the school it's a very nice and, and impressive facility what they've done with the architecture and using parts of the old school is just really neat i mean it, it's impressive all right yeah so we'll just start it off um how would you describe a day in the life of a uh, crop consultant well it depends on the day because that's the thing about this job is there are things that need done at certain times a year we start off the season we you know have contracts with uh, farmers and we meet with them to find out kind of what their needs are and what in crop planning to help them with that their rotations and we'll take soil samples make fertility recommendations and herbicide recommendations to you know deal with weed problems and then we help them with planting, with plant populations and setting the planter, making sure we used to do a lot of planter clinics. Now there's more qualified people with new planters and the technology that's there. But we help, you know, make sure the seed's planted correctly and we do irrigation scheduling. We check the fields on a weekly basis on most row crops and go clear from planting, clear through to the time that the combine goes through the field basically checking making recommendations whether it be fertilizer fungicide insecticide irrigation scheduling is huge uh, we've also with the technology we do maps we've done grid sampling so we can do variable rate fertilizer and we have uh, some new drones that we're playing with with some high definition cameras we use satellite imagery uh, the technology you know in the 36 years i've done this is just gone nuts so it's if you want to get a good look you can you can youtube crop quest and there's some uh, videos on there of there's one of our guys at ulysses just did one last week with a young lady can't remember what the name of it is but it basically kind of goes through a, a day in the summertime oh with, yeah with a crop consultant so how does your daily schedule change on uh, days like this where it's just raining for hours well, at this time of year, we're kind of in a transition period because harvest is, is coming and you've pretty much done everything you can do in the field. 
So you just kind of put it off and, you know, there's no reason to get out and waste gas and money and mud up roads. If you need to go see some people to do a few odds and ends or make some plans, you do that. In the summertime, it depends too on your workload. Sometimes you just put the rain suit on and the boots and you just go work through it. Oh yeah. Um, you mentioned being in the in this profession for 36 years. Uh, what was it like year one being a crop consultant uh, with the major technology advances? Year one was uh, extremely interesting because that was back in the days of flood irrigation where guys were laying pipe and I had done an internship in Pratt in 1987 and it was all sprinklers and things and I thought well this is pretty easy I can handle this well I got out here things in Montezuma work completely different than they do in Pratt Kansas this was all flood ground and it's this community has a group has a large group of I will say not only intense farmers but very progressive farmers all right and just the the things you had to know like how to schedule flood irrigation we would do irrigation scheduling which you probe the moisture we'd get the evapotranspiration of the plant estimates and you had to schedule when that water needed to be back at a certain place so you had to do the math go through your soil water holding capacity and it was just things like that and trying to get water through figure out how to get stuff crops up get water to soak across beds it was it was labor intensive and you had to physically be out there and check multiple spots you know we didn't have any satellite imagery there was no computer stuff i mean there was nothing it, it was all handwritten reports and now we've got computer programs we use a, a company that was known was known as sst and stillwater that does our um, cirrus force we use a program called cirrus and it's all automated now the all the ets come from the uh, weather net stations around that are closest to the field so it automatically gives us our evapotranspirations and does the calculations for us so when we print out a report it tells you on the week how much water the crop is using what the estimated water use is going to be and how many inches you've got left available in the soil so you know it's just technology has gone plus i saw the transition from flood to sprinklers in the early 90s that was a huge step in this country and when we started having water restrictions and we're restricted on our water use so that's another big part of my job is helping be mo more efficient with our irrigation water because water is important we all need water and we just need to the groundwater management association has forced us to be more conservative with our water and we have learned since i lived here that you know we can do a whole lot with not a lot of water we can be far more efficient than we were back in 1988 uh, it's just amazing the efficiencies that oh, we yeah. have achieved and the yields we've been able to achieve with the amount of water we've got so that's just technology that has that has progressed over the last 30 some odd years where, where did you go to school to learn all this at well, I got a degree in agronomy from Oklahoma State University. So I graduated from Oklahoma State. And like I said, I had done an internship with another company that was in Dodge City in 1987. Then I got hired on, Stan Shield hired me out here in 1988. But a lot of it, you need the background knowledge of ag, but 
most of it's on on the ground training because this job requires taking what you learned in school and saying okay that was all theory now let's put it into a practical application and that's the challenge of and that's what we try to do with our intern program it's like okay taking what you're learning in school and giving it a practical application and kind of funny and sometimes professors don't like it but sometimes you find out what you learned in school that they'll tell you that this is the absolute way it works well maybe not there's workarounds on a few things oh yeah and then um so you went to school in oklahoma and does that have any complication when you do work in kansas or what was taught in oklahoma not necessarily the basics are pretty much the same of what we're doing with uh, soil fertility and plant nutrients and you know insects the only thing that would be changed is be geographically you know with weather patterns and and situations like that would change some but as long as you know the basics you know we'll teach you how to use them and what what you need to know uh, one of my co-workers in dodge city he's from pennsylvania and he he went to school in in pennsylvania and now he works around the dodge city cimarron area so you know complete different but you know so it, it can be done oh yeah um so outside of being a crop consultant you also preach every once in a while um when did you first get into preaching well that started probably around 2003 i uh, was at my church in sublette sublette southern baptist we were uh, there was a group going on a mission trip to juarez mexico and I decided, well, I think I'll just go along, see what's going on, tag along. So we had a meeting at Guyman, Oklahoma, with the Oklahoma Panhandle Association, which was sponsoring the trip. And we got there, and their Hispanic director of missions said, introduced myself, and he says, oh, yeah, so you're going to preach. And I said, what? He says, yeah, yeah, you're going to preach. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. Yeah, I'd done public speak. I mean, I grew up doing public speaking, and so you know that wasn't the problem. I'm like, Pre I've never done that in my life. What are you talking about? And they said, Oh, okay, maybe we'll find something, uh, something else for you to do. I said, Well, yeah, I would assume so, since it's my first trip here. Well, it did not work out that way. I got assigned myself and another lady were assigned this little church in the middle of Juarez, Mexico. And basically they said, yeah, you're preaching a revival for a week. So I was basically thrown into the fire with an interpreter. And uh, I had to come up with material. You know, every, every day I'd come up with a new sermon or something new to preach that evening. And it was pretty much trial by fire. But I, funny thing was, after I had done that, I thought I'd gotten pretty good at it. So things were going good, and just as soon as we'd finished the week, wrapped everything up, I got laryngitis, and I couldn't talk for a week. I mean, my voice was gone. But that's how it got started, and since then I've uh, worked like the, through the Western Kansas Baptist Association and other local churches uh, around just helping fill in if somebody's gone or somebody needs a vacation, somebody gets sick emergency happens I just kind of fill in here and there do you remember what your first couple of sermons were about no because honestly it was kind of a, a blur I mean you when you're thrown into a situation in the middle of Mexico completely un you know yeah. unfamiliar territory and told you're going to do this it, it was just 
that week was just kind of a blur. I bet it and was. And especially, yeah. I, you know, I never had an interpreter, so you had to learn to say a little, then stop, and oh yeah. So that would have been tough. But I'd imagine it was pretty, probably pretty simple. Just basically, the gospel message, uh, you know, was probably pretty much what it was. I mean, just try to keep it simple because, again, you I had to work through an interpreter, and I didn't know what I was doing. So I thought, well, the best thing to do is just keep it simple. You're also um, a hunter, right? So when yeah. did you first get interested in hunting? Or did you always kind of like, grow up? I, I grew up hunting. Uh, my family hunted, my dad, my uncles, cousins. We, uh, you know, I grew up on a farm in Oklahoma, so we had ground around. So we went, you know, deer hunting, quail hunting was a big thing when I was young. My dad and my uncles were really into quail hunting. Uh, prairie dog hunting of course coyote hunting was another big thing in the winter time because had some friends and neighbors that raised sheep and they had a very low opinion of coyotes yeah so it it it's just something we've always done hunting fishing outdoor stuff you know it, it's just always been a thing what hunting trips have you gone on in the u.s and out of the country well in the u.s i have been to colorado elk hunting three times not successfully, but I've I've been there. What is, what is that experience like? Well, the first time it was kind of fun. It was a really interesting experience because my first experience there was with Eldon Unruh and Dan Davidson. So that was a that was kind of a fun, more relaxed trip. The second time I was with a friend from Durango, and we were up above the tree line, and I think I joined the Marines. I mean, it was like boot camp. And I'm said, I'm here to have fun. This is not fun. Oh yeah. Because I mean, it was just, it was physically intensive. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. So that's when I started going fishing down on the coast to kind of regroup. That was a whole lot easier and more relaxing and fun for a vacation. So how did you get uh, into that elk hunting? Did you have to like win a drawing or did you just buy a permit or? No, in Colorado at that time, you can hunt on uh, national we were in the Uncompadre National Forest, and you can hunt on public land, and you can just buy an over-the-counter hmm. tag. Now, my brothers and I have since, we, we've been ap applying to hunt New Mexico, and there you have to get drawn in, and it takes a number of years. So we're working on that process to go to New Mexico elk hunting. What are you fishing for on the, on the, on the coast? Well, most of the time we're in the ship channels, or I've been down to Burris, Louisiana, and... Uh, Port Aransas, and we're hunting. We're hunting. We're fishing for redfish usually in the ship channel, and then we'll do deep sea trips for red snapper, tuna, uh, shark, just whatever you can find. And then also had the opportunity. We even went uh, deep sea fishing in Jamaica one time. We caught a sailfish. That was oh, kind wow. of oh, exciting. Really? Yep. You always see videos of. Uh sailfish like jumping or did you um or like jumping into a boat did you have any scares like that no or? no scares like that but it it was a workout uh there was a whole group of us on the boat and sam turner the guy running the reel it about wore him out and he's a big guy and it about wore him out how so, long was he on the line for i'm going to say 45 minutes oh, easily i can't even imagine that that'd be grueling yeah yeah it it was it was something and it was a it was a big deal i mean it was it was fun what other trips have you gone out of the u.s to hunt or fish well i've been uh, to south africa last a year ago my brother and i had the opportunity to go to south africa and go plains game hunting and we did that 
uh, had a real enjoyable time hunting the Limpopo province of South Africa for at Plains game, you know, Gimsbuck, uh, Yalas, uh, Kudus. And then also while we were there in camp, all the food you ate or most of the food was the wild game that had been shot and it was prepared and it, I mean, where those people learn to cook like that is beyond me because, I mean, it was gourmet meals. It, it was astounding, the, the food that we had there. Um, also, I'm working on a deal to go to Argentina dove hunting here in a couple years. And at some point, I, I plan to get back to Africa, and I've always had Scotland on the bucket oh, yeah. list of places to hunt. I'd like to go red stag hunting in the Scottish Highlands. I always thought that'd be fun. Were you able to kill any animal on your uh – trip in africa uh yeah i i got four animals i had a i shot a kudu a yala a sable and a zebra so hmm. all all that uh, stuff is now at king's taxidermy so hopefully someday i'll i'll get my stuff back and my brother that was with me he he got a he shot an impala a yala and a gimsbuck so it was a successful trip so since you've been on um all these hunting trips, what would you say that your favorite uh, animal that you've hunted is? Probably when it comes down to favorites, I enjoy it all, but probably just plain old pheasant hunting around here yeah. is is about as enjoyable as it gets. And it's, you know, hunting wild birds. I go, I've been down to Texas to some of those uh, hunting, it, they call it a ranch, but it's a hunting club, basically. Go hang out with the rich people and see what's going on down there. And they talk about, well, I've got a hunt booked at this lodge or that lodge, and I'm going, yeah, but it's all pin-raised birds, which is fine, but that's really not a whole lot yeah. of challenge. Nat natural up, uh, upland game is kind of just unique to this area, which that's... It's unique to this area, and people don't understand the challenge yeah. of it. And I've had many people come, like from Missouri, that are quail hunters, and they try to hunt pheasants like quail. I'm like, guys, this, it doesn't work this way. It's got to be a team sport, mm -hmm. and everybody's got to work together here. It's So upland bird hunting, wild birds in southwest Kansas is really one of the more challenging things I think you can do. Really? What is your favorite wild game to eat? Probably... At this point, elk would probably be my favorite wild game. And uh, axis deer would be a very close second. Oh, yeah. So could you talk a little more about the experience from, like, hunting elk to, like, uh, cooking, the, cooking the elk yourself and then eating it? Like, um, that, has to be a, that has to be a good experience, knowing that you killed the animal and then you ate it. Um, well, it is, and it's all, it all goes back to conservation, too. I mean, you have a responsibility. If you're going to take the life of an animal, you have a responsibility to make sure it is not wasted and it is used properly, and that's, in my mind, that's what all good sportsmen do. I, you know, I'm a member of the Pheasants Forever and the Dallas Safari Club and various other conservation groups, and that's our goal as a conservation group is to make sure that these animals are managed properly and stay in a population in the wild so that others can enjoy the hunt or seeing them and that they are used properly and that's the way it works in Africa too is basically you hear all these anti-hunting groups that say well why are you going over killing innocent animals well if it wasn't for hunters spending the money 
in many countries, elephants would be extinct. The white rhino and black rhino would be extinct because of poachers and various things like that. It's actually hunters that are paying for game wardens and helping set the law so that these animals can be saved. Oh yeah, and it it is something. It, and you also know you're, you know, you're providing a food source for not only yourself but others that come and enjoy it. Yep. Now you talked about um, you wanted to go uh, Argentina dove hunting. What is first on the bucket list that um, for your next hunting trip? First thing would be getting a New Mexico elk tag, but the Argentina hunt's going to have to be scheduled here in the next couple of years, so it's going to have to be done. But the first hopeful thing is that the New Mexico elk tag gets drawn in. Hmm. And then uh, what, what bucket list animal do you have on your list of, of, of an animal that you want to hunt? Cape buffalo. That's my... I've got a lot of things I'd like to do, but Cape Buffalo is on the list of yes, I want to. I want to get this done to the point I've started trying to save money. I've talked with my professional hunter friend in South Africa, and I've got the ammunition. I've got the rifle now. I just needs the, the time and the funds to do this. But oh yeah. In my mind, something like the you know, it's the Cape Buffalo is known as the Black Death, and I mean they are a dangerous game animal and just an opportunity to see how tough you are. Can you work well under pressure? It, to me, it's a challenge to see how you would work under pressure or in a possibly bad situation. Can you keep your wits about you? How expensive of a trip is it to go down to Africa and hunt Cape Buffalo? Cape Buffalo would be fairly expensive. Uh, actually, going to Africa and hunting Plains game, the average person, if they save their money, can afford it and do it. Uh, I, a fully guided elk hunt out west would probably cost you more than twice what a plains game hunt in really? Africa would cost you. Yes, you could go to Africa. It's a it's a good value and have a good time. It's perfectly safe and you get to hunt a multitude of different animals and it's a cult, it's a cultural experience. You just see a complete different culture and how things are done and it gives you a great appreciation for what we have in this country when you see how things work in other countries uh as my brother said the other day south africa when we were there they were having electricity problems they'd randomly have the electricity shut off for two hours about three or four times a day mm. and people trying to run businesses were having a terrible time with this because they denounce on the radio when the electricity was supposed to be off but that didn't make any difference so it's a perfect example why you don't want the government running certain things that private industry should run oh yeah uh you always hear people talk about um the african big five is that something that you would like to do in your future or i would love to do the big five i mean that what what is the big five the big five is uh cape buffalo elephant lion leopard and what's oh rhino yep so is that like the same thing in like um, hiking where people are like, I've hiked all the 14ers or uh, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's just, you know, for, for hunting, the big five, is that's kind of the, the pinnacle. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're talking serious money there. I wow. mean, it's – but uh, that that would be cool. I mean, why I always wanted – I had an uncle that lived in Ethiopia back in the late 50s up to 1968, worked for uh, – 
they called it the point four program back then. And all my life I've heard African stories. I've seen the pictures. My cousins would tell me about growing up, you know, and he shot lions, cape buffalo, leopards, had all them out. So Africa's always been on my radar ever since I was a little kid. And I've been fortunate enough to make two trips to Africa and, and see very different things. South Africa was completely different than Kenya and Tanzania. Got to stay with the Maasai tribe in Kenya and Tanzania and see how their culture worked. And it's just, I just enjoy things like that. Oh, yeah. So besides um, hunting, fishing, and preaching, are there any other hobbies that you have? Oh, I guess those would probably pretty much be the the main things. I do a, a few other things once in a while. I might go do a little silhouette shooting or some trap shooting and sporting clays occasionally. And uh, like I said, I enjoy taking fishing trips. Well, I ought to just relax and go do something. A fishing trip's kind of the easiest way to relax. You also fly a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, I do fly some. Uh, have it as much as I've wanted to since I sold my airplanes, but uh, no, I've helped uh, various businesses. It Sometimes the spray pilots around, I'll help them like when they need to switch airplanes, I'll go help them move airplanes and move people around. I've taken some customers various places to look at machinery over the years, but uh, I do enjoy flying. I just don't, doesn't seem like I get to do it as much as I used to. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions we have for you today, uh, Shannon. So I think we'll call this an interview. Yeah. Um, do you have any more questions? I, I think that's it. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you. And I enjoyed it. And I always enjoy listening to your podcast. All right. Thank you. The next guest for this episode is a senior here at South Gray High School, Max Moore. Max, you want to tell us a little more about yourself? Yeah, so I'm uh, Connor and Jackson's best friends, actually. We've been best friends since, like, preschool. And so, yeah, I'm a senior here. I run cross-country. I play basketball. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I do, I do, I'm the Stucco president, I guess. That's, that's, yep. that's an important thing, too. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um, so I guess we'll just start off this episode with you talking about how is cross-country going so far. Yeah, so it's going good. The guys have been working hard. We haven't found just a whole lot of success, but uh, I'm hoping so in the future. The girls are doing really good, actually. They have uh, uh, they won at Mead, and then I think they won at, at home too, which is yep. which is pretty great. And uh, they've had a lot of success, and so yeah, they've been working hard as well. Yeah, both girls in volleyball and cross country are currently undefeated. So it's nice to nice to see that. Um, what are your thoughts about the team so far? You know the team. Uh, I, I really enjoy the team. I'm, I'm the, the the slowest runner on the team, so uh, so I'm always in the back. But no, I I've been uh, I've been proud of the rest of the guys. They've been working hard, putting in the hours, um, and so yeah. No, the and the and the girls team is is doing really well as well. So. And this is your third year running cross country. Yep, I've been running since I was a sophomore, and so yeah. It's what been, what made you get into it? Because you you've had a history of running in your family, starting with Sarah. Uh, Sam's always been a runner, so I guess why did you decide to get in cross country? So I played football my freshman year, and I wasn't really a big fan of that. But I didn't want to just, you know, go home and sit around. Or I wanted to do something active and uh, almost to put myself in good shape for basketball. And so that's why I kind of picked up cross country, and I really did enjoy it. I enjoy the practices and, and the meets. Those are kind of fun, except for the running part. Um, but besides that, it's pretty fun. Yeah. So could you tell us a little more about your, like, team motto? 
um, punch and pull. So that's actually a, uh, that's actually an Alex Alex G line. It's, it's everywhere. The back of your shirts. It was like at your home meet. Yeah, they had it was it spray on painted on the ground. <laughs> Pretty serious motto. <laughs> oh, it was no. spray painted on the ground. Yep, yep. It was it was right in front of the in front of the start line. Oh wow. And so yeah, it's no, it's. Alex used that line last year a lot, punch and pull. It's almost like when you're going up a hill and you're supposed to be pumping your arms a lot, you know, punching and pulling. And so that's where that kind of came from. And uh, the senior guys decided, we're like trying to decide what quote we want to be on the back. And that's the one we went with just because Alex says all the time and we kind of wanted to, to do something uh, original, not something that's been used before. So that's what yeah. I'm going with. It's so, very short and to the point. I really exactly, like exactly. Some good advice. So. Where is your guys' next meet then? Uh, so we have a meet um, this Saturday at Hugoton. And then, oh, man, I'm trying to blank on where we go next Saturday. I'm kind of a week-by-week -week basis, but yeah, um, it's all right. we're going to run the Hugoton on Saturday. So. All right. And then you also mentioned that you're a Stuco president. Um, what are your plans uh, for South Gray High School as a president? El as Presidente. El Presidente, that's right. <laughs> so uh, I plan to uh, try to reinstate maybe a fifth quarter um, for the student body and then as well as um, I plan to do a fall formal dance sometime in November to give right. the kids maybe um, another dance in there because I mean as you guys know South grade dances are pretty pretty fun yep. we love we love to dance so I want to do that for the student body as well so it's kind of a couple of my things on the to listen Connor here he's my vice president yeah he's been helping me yep. out so duo yeah all right so I think we're going to shift away from um, cross country, and let's talk about your uh, plans after high school. Do you know where you're going to college, what you're going to major in? Just fill us in on that. Yeah, so um, right now, and really my only plan uh, for right now is to go to Calvary University. It's up right. uh, by Kansas City, Missouri. It's like on the, on the southeast side of Missouri in, uh, by the suburb called uh, Belton. And it's actually on an old Air Force base called Richards Cabauer. And so, you know, the dorms are actually like the barracks that the, that the military personnel would actually stay in. Oh, wow. And so it's actually off, off the beaten path. It's not really in Kansas City, which I actually like that. It's relatively small. I think this year there's like 120 students on campus. And so it's, it's really small, which, I mean, I'm used to that going here to South Korea. And so that's kind of something I'm almost looking forward to as well. And, uh, and yeah, I plan to, I'll get my Bachelor of Arts is what it's called, which is basically just pastoral ministries is, is all that, that is. And then I plan to go start working somewhere at a church and then do my master's online if I want to further my education, which is probably the most likely plan, likely plan. And you can do that through Calgary? Yep. So I'm actually taking online classes from Calgary this semester to just get a little head start um, on that. Right. So what made you choose Calgary over some of the other surrounding colleges? Um, so uh, just doctrinal based mainly was was one of the big reasons why hey I like Calvary. Um, my pastor went there, Pastor Tim. He went there, and then I went to go visit Calvary last spring break, and I stayed a couple nights there. Went to a class or two, and then I I really loved I loved the community over there. Uh, the dorms are, are pretty nice, and I like the teachers over there. Um, and so I just, overall I like the experience over there. It really felt like. It could become home. So you know? you've already taken a lot of time on campus already. You spent yeah. So I got there like um, you know around like five o'clock on an evening, uh, ate dinner, then did some stuff, spent the night, woke up the next day, spent the whole day at Calvary doing activities. I went to a teaching a Bible class and then uh, went to chapel 
and I got to learn from another, I stayed in the dorm with another pastoral ministries guy. Um, and then I, you know, always was talking to the college students, you know, asking them like, hey, what's your favorite part of Calvary? What's your least favorite part of Calvary? So then I could get those two like end of the spectrum dynamics and then like compare them and be like, okay, this seems like a place oh, yeah. I want to go. So you said there is only like 120 students. From what you could tell from your uh, previous visit, does it have like a really, really similar vibe to here at South Gray or is it? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I would say, um, yeah, I would say that it does. It is a lot similar, except, you know, obviously just like the physical attributes of it are different than like what, you know, South Gray would be. But just like the tight community, I mean, you know everyone, everyone knows you. Everyone kind of knows some things about you, you know, even if you're not the most well-known. And, and so I think that's what I got a lot from Calvary was, you know, everyone knows each other and, and they're all just loving Jesus together. So I yep. really like that about it. They probably don't have any sports do they have any they actually do they, they, do. they have basketball they have soccer they have uh and volleyball now oh, yeah and and so i actually have a buddy who's on the basketball team this year and and you know they aren't very good at basketball i think the rec i think they won like two games last year um but really that just kind of i mean you could i could show up there right now never playing soccer and be on the soccer team oh yeah you know it's kind of one of those things they just don't want people to is there to any any other extracurricular activities that you're considering about? You know, I don't know a whole lot about the extracurricular activities, but that was one of the things that when I went there, I uh, I noticed a couple of them were like, you know, learn to say no, because people always come to you and be like, hey, can you do, you want to do this? Hey, you want to do this? And you're like, learn to say no about some of these things or else you're just going to fill your plate up with a bunch of other stuff. Do you know anybody that you're going that you're going to go to school with, like from Southwest Kansas, or kids that you met at a camp before? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned the buddy I went that's on the basketball team this year. I met him at, at a Christian training that I did, uh, like summer after my freshman year, and so he's actually going there. I think he'll just be there for a year. Though. I don't think he's going to stay the whole time. One of my buddies, um, his name's Ronnie. He's going there uh, this year, and he'll be there for like a semester. After, just after I get there because he's done so many credits online. Um, and then I know another gal that's going there too. So, yeah, I know a couple people up there. Oh, yeah. So, so that'd be nice. what all majors does uh, Calvary offer? Um, so, man, they offer, they offer a, a number of different ministry um, degrees, you know, whether it's, whether it's children's ministry or pastoral ministries or, or missionary um, learning kind of, you know, different roles within missionaries and that kind of stuff. So they offer a lot of that. And I want to say they even have like a, like a science maybe and some of the, and some of those more, uh, more common um, degrees. I haven't really looked into it just because I've already really narrowed down where mm -hmm. I, what I really want to do. And so I haven't really expanded, you know, to look at what they offer because it doesn't really interest me. Yeah. Um, so growing up, you always wanted to be a meteorologist, and then until one day, it seemed like you just wanted to become a pastor. So, um, what exactly? Why did? Why do you want to go into this profession? Yeah. So I wanted to be a meteorologist from like man, like second grade to like sixth grade or something. I remember the Halloween costume. Yeah, yeah man, fourth grade, man. I had my raincoat on. You know, I worked for KWCH twelve or something, or the Weather Channel or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, um, one of the things that got me off of meteorology was the math. It's a lot oh, of math yeah. and I'm not a big math guy. So uh, that was one of the things. And then, you know, I, I was like, man, I don't know if I really want to do this. And then I started becoming about becoming a pastor. I was starting, I was like thinking about it, but I didn't want to really tell anyone. Cause I was like, I don't want to get everybody's like hopes high. Like, oh, Max, Max wants to be a pastor, you know? And then be like, oh, you know, I don't actually want to be a pastor now. And yeah. so I didn't tell anyone. And then it was one day after youth group, I think I was like in seventh or eighth grade. 
and I was even I was even misbehaving at youth group. Like I wasn't even behaving very well. Like Pastor Tim had to get on to me. And then after youth group, Tim pulls me aside and he says, you know what, Max, I think you're going to preach the word someday. Like, I don't know if that's being a missionary. I don't know if that's being a pastor, but I, I think that you're going to preach the word someday. And then from that moment on, it was like, I'm going in the ministry, you know, and in the way of a pastor probably. That's just the push you needed to. Uh, yeah. All right. That was just like the, the affirmation of like, man, this is, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. All right. Interesting. So in high school is there any like certain like classes or even not in high school just things you've been involving yourself in to give you um extra preparation for uh calvary and just the overall ministry job um yeah so classes um that south gray has offered um you know they don't and obviously a public university doesn't really offer a whole lot pertaining to my degree and that's you know that's okay but i've been taking some classes from calvary this semester like developing a biblical worldview and then i'm also taking a music appreciation which is just a gen ed that i have to get through um and so through that and also i took public speaking from dodge taking comp through miss Deegis, and some of those classes to just give me kind of ready for that next stage of my life where i'm at calvary and then do you want to talk about your role with fca and your summer internship at morningside yeah, no, that, that's that's great. Um, so yeah, I've been, man, I want to say I've been doing devotion since I was like a freshman at FCA. Um, last year, I did a lot of leading and teaching there. Um, different, we taught uh, through like First Timothy and through James as well, and just learning the the scriptures. And then um, my pastoral internship this summer that was that was an oh, just an amazing opportunity I had. I I am so so grateful for it. Um, and one of the people that I'm most grateful for is Tim. I mean, Tim has been a mentor. Tim has helped me out. He's the one that mentioned me doing that in the first place. And so, you know, I just, I can't give enough thanks to Tim. And so this year, I was able to do that. I, I preached like three times at Morningside. And then I also did pulpit supply in like protection. There's a couple churches down there. And then I preached in central Kansas. And so I got to preach a number of different times throughout then. I taught all three age groups of VBS during the VBS. So I was teaching those kids and I also led a high school guys Bible study this summer and then um, I was a counselor at Grace Life Bible Camp those were those were kind of my jobs as well as you know praying for the needs of the church and, and praying uh, personally as well as just doing some reading and stuff like that that I, that I was required to do what, what is your favorite part of doing all that stuff man all that stuff I, I love helping people I love teaching that's that's really where my passion is is like just teaching people to help them you know, live better Christian lives or, to, or uh, to help them pursue Jesus more. That's really where I, I, I just love that so much. That was my favorite part by far. Um, and then speaking of helping people, you just started up a podcast. Um, so do you want to talk about Christian Campfire Conversations? Yeah, so Christian Campfire Conversation, that's uh, me and Keegan Lowen, a uh, recent uh, South Grade grad. We started up a podcast, like Jackson mentioned there. And uh, so yeah, that's that's geared towards more young adults. We're we're just kind of helping them think through some things. Um, we actually just recorded one about six a.m. this morning, oh, wow. and uh, so that'll be released on Monday. And so that's that's kind of just helping people think through things as well as fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us in uh, Matthew twenty-eight. And so yeah, again, that comes down to the helping people, teaching people, just wanting to be helpful to people to help them live their lives better. How are you recording these podcasts, since Keegan? Is that um, in Wichita and you're yeah. obviously here? So he comes so he comes back every once in a while. So we, the first two we recorded in person, and then this one that we recorded this morning, we just uh, 
just did it over the phone. Um, Spotify for podcasters what we use, and so we can record uh, from long distances. We just, you know, it's basically like a phone call that's recorded through the app, through the app, and then yeah, we record it. And so it's not ideal, but we just ordered some podcast equipment that we yeah. can record together. No, if if you want to listen to a very good podcast, check out Christian Campfire Conversations. The real question is, you can you can find it on Spotify. Yeah, <laughs> were you actually next to a campfire? Yeah. No, I was not. <laughs> it was more. It was more just like a name that we could give that was original. You know, <laughs> we oh, just yeah. like edit in the uh, like the campfire crackling to the yeah, audio. Yeah, exactly. That exactly. When I listened to the first one, I thought the entire conversation was just going to have some crackles in the background and stuff like that. You know, I actually thought about putting something like that on there, but I was like, man, that's a lot of work for the first episode. So oh yeah. Maybe in the future we'll come out with one. I don't know yet. <laughs> All right. So, um, outside of obviously ministry. What are some of your other hobbies? Um, so definitely some of my other hobbies um, would be I enjoy dirt biking. That's one of the things that um, I enjoy doing. Who do you enjoy dirt biking with? Because you have a group of guys that typically you go out and uh, race some dirt bikes with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, probably one of my probably one of my favorites to go out with is Dominic. Dominic Martin. He's pretty fun to ride with. Except we haven't ridden together for gosh a long time. Um, one of my other buddies, he's almost too too crazy for me. He uh, he does stuff that I'm just like, man, I can't do. I <laughs> I don't have a bike that can do that, and then I'm not, you know, I have a will to live. So, <laughs> kind of, what kind of bike do you ride? So I ride a 2019 Honda CRF 230F. Um, so basically, it's just a big trail bike. It's oh, yeah. it's real heavy, six speed. It's it's real low gear, just kind of takes it. But it can go up any hill that any other bike can. Just a little slower, is what I always say. And then do you you also hunt a little bit? So yeah, you I, and Connor both. Yeah, yeah, Connor. We've and gone I, a couple. We have gone a couple times. Uh, we go. I I go pheasant hunting and coyote hunting. That's those are my two. I probably enjoy coyote hunting more just because I, I I really like being in nature in that way. Pheasant hunting, man, you're just walking field with thirty other guys. Um, oh yeah. But when you're coyote hunting, I mean, you're just out in the morning or in the evening, right? Even at night, just like laying down, being in nature and. And yeah, Connor and I went night hunting here this and uh, back in January when it that? first opened up. Yeah, do you guys have any good stories about your coyote hunts? I'm trying to think. I really haven't thought about that. You know, I when we went night hunting, it was just it was so eerie. It was the fog was like super thick. Like we yeah. were walking back to the pickup, and we had our flashlight. On. That I, mean, I couldn't see like I couldn't see eight feet in front of me. I mean, the, th- the fog we was were so just thick. blindly walking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, with, with safety, all right? Yeah. We're being irresponsible. <laughs> yeah, we were. But we almost, we almost missed the pickup. We almost walked past. We had to get on our, <laughs> get on our phone and, and look at where we were at and be like, oh, we should have turned back there. But, yeah, it was crazy because, like, when we went out there, you could see fine, clearly, when we walked back, like, the fog set in. And we were walking back to the truck. And we were, like, kind of looking around. I was like, wait. Isn't there like an electric fence right around here? And Max turns on his light and like six inches away from his leg is this electric fence. Like in the direction we were walking towards. So that was kind of funny. But You're hunting north of town? Uh, yeah. So I hunt. I mean, I so I worked for a farmer for like four summers. And so I hunt on his ground. That's where I shot my first uh, coyote. Um, but so I, I hunt south of ground, south of town or north of town. It just kind of varies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Max said, it is... Night hunting is eerie, especially like for coyotes, because um, what you're you're doing is shining a light and just looking for like two eyes looking right back at yeah. you. Oh, it's yeah. just kind of a 
kind of an eerie, eerie thing. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a lot different than. It's 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 pretty fun. I, Do you I only hunt at night then, so no. you can see the, so you can see the rise or? No, so uh, usually, and you can't hunt at night till January first. Yeah, there's a like there's March a specific. 31st. Overall, coyote hunting doesn't have a season, but to night hunt, I think it's yeah January to like March or something. Yeah, oh, yeah. And so and so before that, um, I usually don't go in that January thirty first to January first to thirty first time time frame. I usually go before that, like November and stuff. And so what you do is is so I go there, I show up before the sunrise, probably like half an hour before the sunrise. I show up, I go, I set my call out there, and then I go back and I lay up high or in a spot somewhere, and then I and then I wait for a while, and then I just start to call them in as the sun is kind of rising, so you can kind of see around, and then you know when they run, you obviously yeah. shoot them. There's there's actually a lot that goes that goes into it, like wind. Um, coyotes have a good vision, so when you're laying up there. You got to be completely still, kind of just looking with your eyes. But yeah, and you got to, it's a long walk. You park your truck far away, try to be quiet. Yeah, people don't really think about this. You know, when you're hunting like pheasants, pheasants just, you know, eat insects and stuff like that. Or what, I don't even really know what they eat. But, but when you're hunting coyotes, you're hunting a predator. Like those, like those coyotes, those are hunters. Yeah. And so you're, and so it's, it's really, it's pretty difficult to hunt them and hunt them like efficiently. It's mm-hmm. so like Connor said, yeah, there's a lot, like I'm always checking the wind forecast before I go out there to see like, oh, this spot won't work because the wind's going to be blowing from the wrong direction. So I have to go somewhere else and just all that stuff. And if it's too windy, like if the wind's blowing over, like, what'd you say? Like 25 miles an hour or something, something like that. It, it messes with, it actually messes with their ears. So they'll just, they'll just bend down. They won't even, mm-hmm. they won't even come out. And so, I mean, when in Kansas is the wind ever, you know, below yeah. 25 miles an hour. <laughs> but um, you, a couple years back, you could actually, you can make, you can make some money uh, coyote hunting with the pelts and everything. But since uh, COVID, I think the prices have gone down. But Yeah, so the one coyote, I've only shot one coyote um, in my couple years of hunting. And, and I sold to Colton Dirks for like 20 bucks just because it was a good pelt. But since like last winter, he wasn't even taking them because they weren't worth oh, anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of times uh, there's this guy that comes and picks up pelts. I think he would go through mead. I think uh, last year he didn't even he, he didn't even stop at mead. He said, yeah. don't give me those southwest Kansas coyotes. Yeah, but, and it really – and it also, too, kind of depends on where you're hunting. Like if you're hunting by a feedlot, those coyote pelts are worth nothing. They're all mangy and disgusting. But if you're hunting – like the one I was hunting far away from one, it had a nice pelt. It was mm-hmm. it was kind of a pup almost, and so it had a really good pelt on it. All right, yeah. So I guess we'll wrap up this interview with our last question. Um, you've been an involved individual inside of school, outside of school, with all your activities. Uh, what advice would you give to freshmen at South Gray High School, or just any student at South Gray High School who needs to get involved? Who needs to get involved and in yep. stuff? Yep. Man, I would just say just ask. I mean, just go up to people and be like, hey, is there something I can do? Is there, you know, can I be in this club and can I help out in this club? Because, man, that's the way, I mean, that's how, I mean, you can get scholarships from being in certain clubs and you can, you can benefit a lot by being in clubs like that. And so I would just say, you know, go ask people, get, know how to get involved and then get involved in them. Yeah, that's what Kathy Kane has always told me. She said, uh, always be your best advocate. Yeah. Uh, meaning if you have questions, ask. Make sure you get yourself out there. And uh, don't don't be hesitant to ask questions. Yeah, because I think that we kind of have this misconception. It's like, oh, man, I don't want to ask because that makes me seem dumb. But it, I think smart people ask questions, yep. you know? I mean, so. All yeah. right. Well, thanks for coming on today, Max. Well, yeah, um, thanks for having me, guys. It's yeah. been fun. Yes, yeah, fun. Thank, Thank you. you.
Before we call this an episode, I would like to give you all an update on South Gray Sports. The football team has a game tonight against Mineola at Mineola. There is a high school cross-country meet Saturday at Hugoton. Next Tuesday, our volleyball team plays Buckland and Ashland at home. And our football, volleyball, and cross-country teams are all having a great season so far as the volleyball and girls cross-country team stands undefeated and the football team has a one-on-one record. Thank you all for listening. It's a great day to be a Rebel.